Well, happy time change weekend. You made it. So proud of you. Thank you so very much. How many of you forgot to set your clocks and that's why you're here at this service? Yeah, very good. It's terrific to have you here, seriously. And if you're a guest, welcome to Northridge Church. Just thrilled that you're making this series, Break the Mold, a part of your lives. I was a little disappointed with you during the announcements. We had that invite someone to Easter video. That was funny. I mean, come on. I mean, you're sitting there like you're asleep or comatose or something like that. That was, was funny, and I hope that you will be reaching out and inviting and sharing the opportunities that come during the Easter season to introduce people to Jesus. As we get into this weekend's talk, I, I, I just have to kind of um, ask your forgiveness because I, it's going to sound like I'm bragging. It's going to sound like I'm, you know, elevating myself and, you know, I'm trying to, you know, make you think highly of me and all that. But I, I have to be honest. To get into this weekend subject, I have to sound like I'm bragging because I was born with one extraordinary talent. And I mean an extraordinary talent. My talent was that I could choose the wrong kind of friends and I could choose the wrong kind of activities perfectly in my life. I mean, it was like, it was like I was a savant at this. It was, like, it was like I was a prodigy at knowing exactly who I shouldn't build a relationship with and doing it anyway and what I shouldn't be doing and doing it anyway. I mean, I was brilliantly talented at this. Can any of you identify with this gift? Did any of you have that? Okay, three people are a part of the human race. It's wonderful to have you. The rest of you will just enjoy us being honest. Okay, it just came naturally to me to blow it, to mess up. Can you imagine being my parents? I, I, as a now a person who's gone through my own season of parenting, I just, I, I can't believe what my parents had to deal with. I was crazy good at being trouble. And it, it was true no matter where I went, no matter what I was doing, my talent was on clear display for the world. I had messed up most of my childhood, but the sophomore year of high school was where, man, I, I put my gift to great use, and I excelled in destroying my life. And my parents, whom to this day I can't figure it out, whom really did genuinely love me, tried to figure out what they could do to help me break the mold, the pattern of that life and get me on the right path. And they decided maybe the best way to do this was to send me away to a private Christian university, private Christian high school actually connected with a university in Saskatchewan, Canada. Now, if you don't, if you don't know where Saskatchewan, Canada is, that was the point of sending me there. That's right. It's, it's in the middle of nowhere. Seriously, it's, it's always frozen, almost always, and it's, it's 150 miles north of Montana. My parents figured, how can he get in trouble when he's frozen? It just, it's not going to happen. You can't even stand up against the wind. There's no way this kid can get in trouble there. And they were trying to give me a new start. And it was a chance to start over. It, it was a chance to create a new path for myself. It was a chance to break the mold of what I had been and to start pouring myself into a new pattern. It was a great opportunity. And, and I have to tell you, they weren't forcing me to do this. I wanted it. I, I, I didn't want to be a mess up. I didn't want to destroy my life. I didn't want to make all the wrong choices. I really wanted to change. And so I was committed. When I get there, everything's going to be different. Everything's going to be different. 
I flew in, walked into the campus. On the very first day, became best friends with the most messed up guy there. And within six months, my new best friend and I were kicked out of that school. So it really, I mean, I was a savant. I was brilliant. And this wasn't a one-time exception. This was the rule of my life. It, it, quite frankly, I, I started to think that there was something uniquely wrong with me, that I had a unique problem that other people didn't have. But I was wrong. Over time, I've discovered that I wasn't the only savant when it came to this issue, that I wasn't the only one with the problem. In fact... I found that a lot of people who were judging me and a lot of people who were criticizing me had the exact same problem. They just had it in different ways. It expressed itself in different ways. Over time, I found that every single one of us have the same problem. So let me be specific. You, by nature, have the exact same problem I have. You do. Now, I know, you've been sitting here. I know human nature, you know, because I am one and I've been dealing with it for years. I know you. Many of you, as I tell stories of myself, you sitting out there judging me. It's okay. Because I've been judging you. And I think I'm winning, quite frankly. Now, the truth is, we judge each other by the sins we don't have. I, I, I take... Your weaknesses and condemn them, but overlook mine. You take your weaknesses and overlook them, but condemn me for mine. And this is how we are. But the truth is we're all in the same boat. We all have these messed up hearts. It's who we are. It's how we're born. Of course, we don't all express it the same way. Most of you weren't kicked out of school once, let alone multiple times. But every single one of us has a heart attracted to the wrong things, that longs for the wrong things, that chooses and celebrates the wrong things. We just do. Can I give you a case in point? There are some people here right now listening to this talk. They look like the rest of us. They seem like the rest of us. You would think that they were good people from the surface of it, but, but you know, they love and embrace the wrong things because they cheer for Ohio State University. And I'm going to tell you, it's like, it's just proof that there are problems in this world, right? And those of you now judging them, yeah, many of you listen to country music. It's just as bad. I mean, bad-hearted people, messed up, longing to and celebrating the wrong things. It's just there. Now, that's fun to talk about, but the truth is, this applies to real life and truly important things. Every single one of us um, has a messed up heart. Every single one of us allows that heart to lead us to make the wrong choices. And here's the interesting part. Even when we have all the right information, we can still make the wrong choices. E even when our head tells us that it's the wrong choice, we can still make that choice because of the damage in our heart. I, I, I've, for my whole life, because I, I've, I've had a hard time figuring it out. I mean, why when I know certain choices are going to hurt me and I could make a different choice, why do I keep making the wrong choice? When I know that there are people that could 
be encouragement in my life and those that can be a destructive force in my life, how come I keep choosing the destructive force instead of the other side of it? And I, I've had to try to pursue the answer to this. Why do I do this? Why do we do this? Well, the good news is God tells us why. He really does. We can't break the mold on our own. We can't pave a new pathway on our own. Our heart's too damaged and too distorted, but, but we can. And so this weekend, as we continue in this series, Break the Mold, we're going to look at this very question. Why do we do this? Make the wrong choice, build the wrong relationships, even when in our head we know we're doing the wrong thing. To, to get at the subject, though, we have to understand what our heart was supposed to be like, what what God created us to be like in the beginning. And so let's start there. You need to know that in the beginning, God created our heart to be a reflection of his heart. This is what he wanted. So everything that God's heart is, you know, good and just and kind and generous and compassionate, everything that his heart is, he literally created us in his image. He gave us a heart that could reflect his heart. Now imagine that world. Imagine the world where every single human heart is fulfilling its original design to reflect God's heart. Now we reflect goodness to one another and compassion to one another and generosity to one another and unselfishness to one another. Now we're not trying to pull each other down so we can get ahead, but we're trying to lift each other up. I mean, this is a world I would want to live in, and it's the world that God made. A world of hearts reflecting his. Look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. We were created in his image. Now if you've missed any of this series, we give it away online. Go to northridgechurch.com on demand talks and, and get it. Because when God created us in his image, he gave us his mind so we could understand his truth. So we could think right. He gave us his heart so that we could love right. He gave us his will so that we could choose right. And it was to be a reflection of him in this world. And it's all been destroyed because of our choices. But in the beginning, our heart was to reflect his heart. Look at 1 John 4, 8. This is a view of his heart. He gives us a picture in. Whoever does not love doesn't know God because God is love. Now this is important. We were created in his image. And in heart, what is he? Love. I mean, that's who he is. And he's saying, if anyone claims to know God, but, but they don't love, they're not from God. They're not reflecting his heart. They can say they're following him. They can say they're loving him. They can say they know him. They can say they're obeying him. But if they don't love, no, their heart is not reflecting God's heart because God is love. Now, before we go further in understanding that we've been created in his image with a heart that could reflect his heart, I think we have to understand from a biblical perspective the definition of, of heart. Because you can read through the Bible and you, you can misunderstand what the heart is if you don't understand that it talks about different things at different times in the Bible. The definition of heart. It, it really, biblically speaking, is speaking of the whole of what God made us to be. The whole person. For example, biblically speaking, the heart can refer to the mind. To the mind. How we think. The center of our thoughts. Look at, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, For God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Here, he's using the word heart, but he's talking about how he's poured light into our heart so that we could understand his knowledge. That we could understand who Jesus is. We could understand the glory of God. I mean, and so here, it's referring to the mind. Heart's referring kind of the mind. Whoa. 
But you need to know the Bible also at times uses the word heart to speak of the emotion, the emotion, the emotional center. And I think it's important that you know this is the primary aspect of the heart, the, the emotional aspect, the feeling aspects of life where love dwells. And look at 1 Peter 1, It says, love one another deeply from the heart. So the heart speaks of our thoughts. It influences how we think, but it also speaks of, and in its primary way, our emotions, that place where we feel empathy, we care, we have compassion and generosity. But the Bible also uses, interestingly enough, the word heart to refer to the will, that place where we make our choices, where we choose our activities and our actions. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want you to give because you've been arm-twisted and manipulated. He wants you to give because your heart is filled with his generosity. But you see here, he's saying each man should decide what to give based upon what? Heart. So the heart can refer to how we think, and the heart can refer to the choices we make, but the heart also refers to how we feel. Do we care? Do we have compassion? Now, to to get why the heart can describe the whole person, I I literally want to give you the description of why this works this way. How come the heart can be interchanged this way with all aspects of who we are? Well, you need to know the emotional center of our lives, which is really what the heart is, the emotional aspect of our lives, strongly influences the whole person in thought and in behavior. The heart is such a powerful influence in our lives, emotionally, how we feel, that it literally determines how we think and what we choose in life. Look at how Jesus said it in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. For from within, out of men's what? Really? I've lost you already. For from within, out of men's hearts, thank you very much, Come evil thoughts. Isn't that interesting? For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts. But the heart doesn't think. The heart feels. How does this work? It's because how we feel, that emotional center of our life, influences how we think. It, it influences our minds. And then it goes on, not just our minds, but our will, because everything else is an act of the will here. For from within, out of men's hearts, come these evil thoughts and all the negative actions of the will. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make men unclean. Here's how it works. How I feel in my heart influences how I think in my head. Even when I have all the right facts and all the logical information and all the right statistics and all the right truth, my heart influences how I put them together and what I do with them. And I'm telling you, it's true of you. This is how it works. How I feel in my heart influences how I act. 
You see, my head can say, don't go there. It's going to kill you. And my heart says, go there. It will feel good. And my head says, no. My heart says, yes. My head says, no. My heart says, yes. I do it because I'm an idiot. And so are you. Our heart influences how we think and how we react to what we know. And this explains it for me. It's like, why did I pursue relationships with the ones I knew I shouldn't pursue relationships with? Because my heart was the primary influence in the process. Why did I make the choices I made when I didn't want to be a mess up, when I didn't want to bring pain and hurt into the lives of everyone that loved me? Why did I do it? Because my heart was such a primary influence that my desire not to do something couldn't override the power of my heart. The heart's the center. And here's what you need to know about your heart. It was created by God to reflect his heart, but it doesn't by nature. Because sin... Sin has damaged our heart. And I'm using the word singular heart. I know I could say our hearts, but when I put it in a collective plural, it seems to lessen the impact to each of us as individuals. Oh, we're all messed up. It's all good. But I want you to see it's your heart that is fully messed up. This is what's influencing your life. Sin has damaged our heart and distorted our ability to understand, to know, to experience God, and to reflect his heart in this world. And this is why we don't. We can know everything about the light, but we still spin darkness out of our lives. We can know everything about love, but we can still spin hatred out of our lives. We can know everything about forgiveness, but we can still be bitter and angry and unforgiving in our lives. We can know everything about how important telling the truth is, but we still lie because our heart is the primary influence and it's been damaged and distorted by sin. And if this word sin bothers you, you need to know though it's not very often used in 21st century culture here in America, it is absolutely every day dealt with by each and every one of us because sin is that activity where I take my mind and my heart and my will given by God to reflect his image and I decide to reflect my own image, to do my own thing, to go contrary from him. And every one of us has done this and it's damaged our heart. And it's distorted our view of God, of self, of others, of life, and it's messed us up. Look at how the Bible talks about it in Ephesians 4, verses 18 and 19, talking about people who are living with damaged hearts, people like us. They are darkened in their understanding. Their thinking's not right. And because of it, they're separated from the life that God designed for them, a life reflecting his image because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of the heart. When the heart is Hard, truth can't bust through. Having lost all sensitivity, no longer having a conscience, no longer being sensitive to right and wrong because we're pursuing our own desperate needs from our own damaged and distorted hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Sin has damaged our heart and distorted our ability to understand and reflect God. It just has. But in case that's not enough for you, let me go further because I know you're just begging for me to help encourage you even more, you know? Look at Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. When my parents 
packed me up and sent me to Saskatchewan, Canada. They were doing it with a good heart to try and help me build a new life for myself. When I willingly helped pack and went and was excited about it, it was because I wanted to break the mold and I wanted to, I wanted to change my choices. I wanted to change my activity. I wanted to change what I was doing. I didn't want to be a prodigy and such a bad talent. And yet, I couldn't break the mold. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. It's messed up. 2 Timothy 3, 2 and 4, it's talking about people who have the form of godliness. People who claim to be following Jesus. People who claim to be Christians even. Look what it says. They will be lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sin has so damaged and distorted our heart that we cannot possibly understand God or reflect him in this world no matter how hard we try no matter how much we want to no matter how much we know it's the right way we can't do it can you relate it all to this? I can when I unfold those passages here's what I find let me describe them for you because it helps me so much maybe it'll help you these passages tell us that sin has so damaged and distorted us in our heart that we are literally calloused toward God and his ways hardened towards him we can't, we can't experience him or his ways because we've hardened ourselves against it. We're moving in a different direction from that. These passages tell us that our hearts are so damaged and distorted that we, by nature, desire the wrong things. Even if the wrong things don't add up to right, our heart desires them and it has such influence that we pursue them. These passages tell us that not only do we desire the wrong things, but we, by nature, choose the wrong things. It's not just me. Oh, I chose different things than you. But we all choose the wrong things. It's our heart. The Bible tells us that because our hearts are damaged by sin, we we are easily deceived, so easily deceived, and, and so naturally deceitful. Boy, isn't this the truth? So naturally deceitful. Oh, my gosh. You go, not me. See, right there. I, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but many times on a weekend, uh, in order to save my, my personal budget from being fully expensed out on psychological counseling, I just use you as a cathartic exercise. I don't know if you noticed this. I'm just kind of, you know, I just kind of dump all kinds of crap on you, and it just makes me feel better. I don't know if it makes you feel better or not, but it helps me. And so, you know, that's why sometimes I repeat over and over some things that I'm going through. Just, you know, I'm, I'm using you. And... Uh, a couple weeks ago, and I know I've told you this before, but I still need some release from the stress of it. We watched our four grandkids. Oh, my gosh. I'm still trying to recover because, you see, I, I love my grandkids supremely. I love them. When their parents are fulfilling their responsibilities and obligations to watch them, you know, I'm supposed to just, like, spoil them and give them crap, you know I mean? But no, we had to watch them for nine days. And during this process of watching them, they're four kids, five and under, um, I learned something about these kids that I love so much. I keep their pictures on my iPhone and my iPad. I mean, but I learned something about them. They're liars. (laughs) And I'm not kidding. They're liars. I mean, it's like, before they talk, they're liars. But the ones that can talk, oh, I would watch one of them do something. That wasn't something they were supposed to be doing. I'd watch them do it. And I'd go, did you just do that? No. <laughs> Liar. I, it was like, 
It was unbelievable. We are naturally deceitful. No one teaches us this stuff. You know why? It's because we love ourselves more than God and others and we'll do whatever it takes to avoid trouble. And we're easily deceived. We are so easily deceived. You know why? Because we want to believe what makes us feel better. Because we're committed to us. And so it's so easy to deceive each other because of these things. Our heart is the cause. We love ourselves rather than God and others is one thing these passages say. We love ourselves rather than God and others. It's crazy. For me, this explains so much about me. No wonder we desire and are so drawn to the wrong things. No wonder our heart is messed up. No wonder our choices are so messed up. Even when we know the truth, even when we want to follow the truth, we don't because our hearts are messed up. Our hearts move us in the wrong direction and and it's hard to deny the heart. Over time, I've realized that my mind is not the most powerful thing about me. My will is not the most powerful thing about me. My heart is the most powerful thing about me. It, It overrides my thinking. It overrides my my ultimate desires. It, it, it's something that has the power to influence me. Now think about the trouble we're in. Because we live in a world and we live in a culture that lives on this philosophy. Ready? Just follow your heart. Are you kidding me? Why don't they just say, go enjoy yourself in the middle of the expressway? (laughs) Don't follow your heart. Your heart is damaged. Your heart is messed up. People go, and this is a philosophy of our lives too, but they have a good heart. No, they don't. (laughs) We don't. Here's the better advice. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. That's the advice. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Now, it's great advice. Here's the problem. You're clapping, but you're not doing it. Because it's really hard to do. Because even in our head, we're going, yeah, follow Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. Follow Jesus. He's going that way. But our heart gets us going this way. Our hearts are so messed up that even when we get to the place where we know my choice is bad, his choice is good, we still follow our choices because our hearts are messed up. When I went to Canada, I was determined to change my mold, but I couldn't do it. My heart wouldn't let me. But there's some good news, and I know some of you, especially if you're guests probably, you're here and you're going, So I set my clock ahead and I got up an hour early to come and listen to this guy ruin my life. First of all, I didn't ruin your life. And second of all, there's no way you're ever going to overcome the destructive nature that you have until you face down reality. I could tell you how wonderful you are and how great you are and how perfect you are. Go live for Jesus. Go live for Jesus. And you'd feel real good right now and you'd walk out and your life would be no different. But I have to tell the truth about who we are. And then we can start making right choices. This is reality, but there is good news. There is great news. And here it is. 
The truth is that Jesus made possible what's impossible for us. Jesus made possible for us to break the mold, something we can't do on our own, and he made it possible for us to break the mold by giving us the opportunity to receive a new heart. And that's what we need. A new heart. Do you, you remember Jeremiah seventeen nine? God says the heart is, oh my, is, is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. You can't fix it. Religion says you can fix it. Oh, you know, just start doing these religious things. <laughs> you're in. No, you're not. Just give a little bit of money, kneel a couple of times, stand up a couple of times, you know. Wear different clothes. You're in. No, you're not. Because you can dress up a bad heart all you want. And you know what you got? Beaten in your chest a bad heart. We need a new one. And that's what Jesus made possible. The reason God came to earth and took on humanity is because he needed to make a new heart. And Jesus literally lived on this planet as the perfect reflection of God's heart and mind and will. His heart always beat for God's and never went on its own. It was never damaged and never distorted, ever. And then you know what he did? He died. But that's not what perfection does. Sin leads to death, not perfection. Why did he die? For me and for you. So he could give us his heart. And when he died for our sin and was buried, he rose again so that his beautiful heart could be given to each and every one of us when we trusted him. This is what you need, a new heart. You'll never break the mold until you get a new heart. And Jesus is the only doctor that can do it, period. Now, the Bible says this all the way through from beginning to end. David was a great guy. The Bible says he was a great guy. He had the desire to serve God, and he really did a good job. He wasn't as dramatic in life as I was early on. But David was just as messed up as I am because even in all of his desires to do good, you know what he did? Bad. He chose a contrary way to God. And it ruined his life, it ruined his family, it ruined his kingdom in many ways. Failure's not final. God forgave him. He was able to move on, but it was a huge mess. And when he was confessing it, look what he says in Psalm 51, verse 10. He simply says, create in me a pure heart, O God. He realized it. No matter how hard I try, I'm not going to get there because my heart's damaged and distorted. You need to give me a new heart. And God did. Look at Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 30 and 31. Repent. That's a word that means turn. And so it repeats it. Repent. Turn. Turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Turn away from your offenses. Break the mold. Go a new direction. Sin will not be your downfall, but you can't do it on your own. So look what it says. Rid yourself of all the offenses you've committed. How? Get a new heart and a new spirit. And this is, why will you die, O house of Israel? He's talking to the Jews. He says, why do you keep choosing death when you have the potential for life? Why? Because they had such damned hearts. That's why we do it. And so we need to turn. And then in the New Testament, Acts chapter 15, verse 9, the same thing. He's talking about how it's the same for Jews and for Gentiles. And God's willing to give both groups a new heart if they put faith in Jesus. He says, he made no distinction between us and them, Jews and Gentiles, for he purified their hearts. He made their hearts new, just like he made our hearts new, by faith. You see, religion's meaningless because religion's what you tack on to the outside of your life. It doesn't change your heart. 
A lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm now going to Northridge Church. It's just, you know, that's all I need. No, it's not. Do you know who pastors this church? You're in serious trouble. <laughs> Coming into a spiritual environment doesn't change you. Changing your words and your song doesn't change you. Letting Jesus give you a new heart is the only thing that changes you. Have you done that? Since all the application builds off of that, I I just need to give you the opportunity because I believe a lot of people who call themselves Christians aren't people with a new heart. And I just need to give you the opportunity to take this step, to repent, to turn, to get a new heart. And so if you just, before I finish with the application, bow with me in a word of prayer, just in a moment. If you've not received this new heart, pray with me. Make my words yours. And just say, God, my heart is messed up. It's broken. And I've sinned against you and I keep sinning against myself. It's just a mess. But I believe that you can give me a new heart. Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin. By faith, I'm asking you to forgive me. And you rose again to give me a new life. And by faith, I'm claiming it. Let the heart that beats in me be your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before I give you the application, if you prayed with me, please let us know. We want to celebrate the fact that you've made this decision. We really do. It helps us to know that the way we're communicating truth is, is getting through. So let us know you made the decision. And we've put together a letter that can help you take next steps in your journey with God that we'd love to give to you. And so let us know. The way to do it, if you're in one of our live services, just take out the program that we give you. Rip out the connection card. Obviously fill it out. And on the bottom, just check that circle that says, Today I prayed with you to receive Jesus. And then when you leave, there are boxes at every exit. Just throw it in there. And we'll send you this letter. And we'll rejoice in what God's done in your life. And for those of you watching Church Online, just hit the What Next button. And we'll do the same for you. I mean, you got a new heart, but, but what does that do for you now? I mean, well, here's what happens. When, when you break the mold by receiving a new heart, God opens for you a door that was forever closed to you before. He opens the door for you to actually fulfill your original purpose. The reason you were put on this planet, that thing you strive for, you long for, but you just can't find in life. He opens the door to it, and and that purpose is to reflect his heart. All of a sudden, the door is open for me to to be like him, which I couldn't do on my own. And and let me just describe it in a couple of ways for you. I mean, when, when we break the mold by receiving a new heart, it literally opens the door of a new kind of love. When you look around the planet, it's pretty easy to see the problem, right? People love themselves, but they don't love each other. People are selfish instead of being unselfish. People serve their own interests instead of the interests of humanity. It's just a nutty thing. And we even take that junk into our families, into our relationships, into our work settings. But when we have his heart, it opens the door of a new kind of love. Look at how Jesus talked about in John 13. A new command I give you. Love one another. Now, how's that a new command? We've always supposed to have been loving one another. Yeah, but we've loved each other for personal benefit. I'll love you if you love me back, but I won't love you if you don't. And I'll love you if you're kind to me, but if you're cruel, I'm going to be cruel back. And, and he says, a new command, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. He's saying, I'm opening the door with this new heart. I'm opening the door for you to love 
when it's not just about personal gain. To, to love a person who's even hurt you. To, to love a person who can do nothing for you. To, to love other people. To put yourself on the line like Jesus to help make other people's lives better, even if there's potential that it could hurt you. We have this opportunity. Imagine what the world would be like if this was the kind of love being reflected. In the Bible, the Bible talks a lot about how this new kind of love reveals itself. You don't walk by the broken anymore. You care about them. In fact, we put together a video about one of the primary ways God says that we can show this new love is by loving the fatherless and loving the orphan, by opening our lives to the people who've been so rejected and forsaken by this world to show them that they haven't been forsaken and rejected by God. It's a beautiful deal. Look at what it looks like. We didn't adopt children because they were or weren't a color, because they did or did not have a special need. We adopted children because they needed a home. I see your face in every sunrise. The colors of the morning are inside your eyes. The world awakens in the light of the day. I look up to the sky and say, you're beautiful. pretty much told I was a lost cause. Um, I was unlovable is what they said. She's really important and her life is valuable and I want her to grow up knowing that she is loved and that I won't ever abandon her and even more important, God will never abandon her. <laughs> In a sense, I've always, I've always said that they've rescued me from what could have been a really terrible, terrible life. This is my son, Patrick. He said the phrase that melts your heart. He said, Daddy. He said, Daddy. like any other Ugandan who wants to help, you know. They have disabilities and all this. They can still learn and be like any other kid. I see your face, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. I'm thankful every day that they gave me the chance they did, that they loved me when no one else would. And through them, you know, they showed me God's love.
The story that really sticks out for me is that young lady who says, I was given up as a lost cause. Unlovable. And then comes back later and says, but then they showed me the love of God and it's connected me to his love. It's impossible to love people that way with the damaged and distorted hearts we're born with. But once we have Jesus' heart, we have the ability to express a new kind of love because we're not having to steal love to feel loved. We're always loved, and we can offer love. And there are lots of ways to express this new kind of love, caring about your neighbor that you didn't care about, caring about your own family, caring about people in the workplace, caring about people's spiritual realities, even like we talked about earlier, inviting them to Easter, caring enough about their spiritual lives to go out of your way to reach out. But God talked a lot about caring about the fatherless and the orphan because that reflects a heart matching his. And we have a ministry team here, the Orphan Care Ministry Team. It just rose out of hearts that grew in this place where we believe that any kid in crisis, any kid being rejected or seemingly forsaken in this world should have a place where they can meet Jesus' heart. And we want to see kids placed, whether in temporary ways, in foster care homes that reflect Jesus' heart or in permanent adoptive homes or other tangible ways, give them camp experiences and life experiences and life touches where they can say, whoa, I'm loved. And so our orphan care ministry team is all about that. I just really want to encourage you, if you want to look at a tangible way to touch another life in a life-defining way, our orphan care ministry teams in the activity center right after we're done here, you don't have to run any, anywhere. You can go right in there and talk to them. They'd be glad to share it with you. It's a way to express a new kind of love one way. It also, when we break the mold by receiving a new heart, opens the door to a new kind of life. A new kind of life, which is what I wanted. You see, sending me to Canada looked like the opportunity for a new life. But when you take a bad heart to a different place, you know what you have? A bad heart in a different place. You can take a bad heart from not going to church into church. You still got a bad heart. You can take a bad heart from irreligious to religious or religious to irreligious. And you know what you still have? A bad heart. But when you have a new heart, it opens the door to a new kind of life. If you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for meaning and significance, if you're looking for peace and joy and the things that make up a quality life, it comes through a new heart. Look at how Jesus said it in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The evil one's trying to damage your heart. But I've come that you might have life in all of its fullness. Looking for a new life, it starts with a new heart. It also, breaking the mold by receiving this heart, opens the door, and I'm going to be really, really honest here, to a new kind of struggle. I don't want you to think that we're inviting you to a make-believe fairy tale here. We're, we're inviting you into a real relationship with God and it doesn't make everything better. It makes your heart better. It makes the character and quality of your life better. It doesn't make life circumstances better. In fact, quite frankly, sometimes following Jesus makes life harder. It's a new kind of struggle. Look at 1 John 4 to get into it, verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, there's the tension, love, hate, that person's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen can't love God whom he's not seen. And he's given us this command, whoever loves God must all also love his brother. That's a struggle. Hey, before I had a new heart, before I loved God, 
I didn't have to love anyone and didn't. I didn't have to like anyone. There was no struggle at all. But when we have Jesus' heart, it creates this natural conflict in us between what we are used to with our damaged heart and what we can be with our new heart. So we struggle between what Jesus' heart is prompting us to do and what our old nature used to do. And so we have got to struggle. Do I respond in love or hate? Do I respond with forgiveness or do I maintain bitterness? Do I respond with kindness or cruelty? Do I make a selfish choice or an unselfish one? Do I pursue my will or God's will? It's a struggle, and it's not a struggle I had until I had Jesus' heart. But it's the opportunity to finally get a life. We need to daily work on choosing the life that Jesus' heart in us prompts us towards instead of obeying the old one. And so I'm going to give you a decision. This is something that you can process in your life. Now, whatever God's doing in your life, I mean, all kinds of decisions to be made, but here's one decision that could be authored. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you obey its evil desires. You know what that's saying? It's saying, in both, when you have the new heart of Christ, you still have a sense of you still have a, a motivation from your old heart. How you used to be and what you used to do and how you used to think. But you also now have this new heart. And here's what the Bible says. Count the old heart to be dead. I know you feel it. I know it's got compelling motivation in you. But count it as dead because it is. It's like a phantom feeling. Like if you've ever heard about someone losing a leg and they still can feel the leg. That's what our old heart is. But realize in your head it's dead and then respond to the new life that you have in Jesus. Don't let sin reign in your body. So when I confront these issues, do I live like I used to or do I live like Jesus' heart is causing me to want to live? I have to say the old way is dead and I'm going to go this way. And when you do, what you're simply saying is I'm breaking the mold. Here's the decision. Daily make the choice to walk through the open door. Daily make the choice to live a new kind of love, a new kind of life, and to work through the new kind of struggle. And you will not regret it. Break the mold. Now, just before you split, uh, two things that I'd like to share with you. The first is this. We, We have a commitment to try and make it as easy as possible for guests to come to Northridge Church as possible. You know, those of us who've been to Northridge Church and know what God's doing here and embrace that. Um, we're willing to sit in traffic. We're willing to work hard to get in and out of the parking lot and all that different stuff. But a guest coming in, they go, I'm not going to join this parade. <laughs> They're out of here, right? And that's why we have our shuttle lot. So that when we all ride the shuttle and our cars are over there, less traffic coming in here, more parking spaces for the guests to come in and realize, whoa, this is a place where my life can be transformed. And so the shuttle lot helps us. But we want to be an encouragement to you who park in the shuttle. And we want to encourage you to park in the shuttle. So starting this coming weekend, we're going to try something new. We're going to, at the shuttle parking lot, give free donut holes and free coffee to everyone who's parking in the shuttle thing and riding the shuttle over. Now, don't go to the shuttle lot, get your donut holes and coffee, and then drive here. (laughs) 
because that would show that you have a bad heart. You know, so really stay there, ride the bus, and it will help our guests and us to function better. And secondly, don't forget the orphan care teams in the activity center. What a great way to show the love of Jesus. Check out what they're doing. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Welcome to the new-